eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, October 25th, Year of Our Lord 2022, brought to you proudly by Academy Sports and Outdoors. We got predictions, we got polls, we got major predicaments in College Station and Coral Gables. We're jam-packed. High atop a previously rainy, but now very clear and tranquil downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I'm going to talk about what's happening at Texas A&M. It's not good. I'm going to talk about what's happening at Miami. It's not good. Two programs in Two different predicaments, but getting the same results. And those are losses on the field on Saturday. A lot of folks are just trying to take blowtorches to those programs. That's not our style here. We're going to identify problems. And and here's the bold step forward that we're going to try and take tonight. Perhaps even propose some solutions. Not popular. I'm told it doesn't grade well. It doesn't score well in the analytics community, but we're going to do it anyway. I got full week nine predictions tonight. We got three games that we're going to break down. I got a new JP poll. I'm told that something's happening on the JP poll tonight for the first time this year, and I've confirmed that with stats and info. I've got four, three or four, I can't remember, best bets. we got some best bets to add at the end of the show. And you know what else we have? We have people checking in from all over the country and beyond. Nova Scotia is tuned in tonight. Augusta, Georgia, Syracuse, New York, Clemson, South Carolina. I took a gander at our own internal numbers early this morning. Looks like we added another 1,000 subscribers over the past week. They just keep ticking up, keep ticking up. Previously, the goal was let's get to 150K by New Year's. Forget New Year's. We can get there much quicker than that. And when we do, I'm going to let you decide what the big prize is for the entire late kick community, Pate State, if you will. And we will decide amongst ourselves. But I think we're going to get there pretty quick because we're insane on adding numbers right now. We're on a roll. Thank you so much for that. We're going to go a lot of different directions. This Tuesday night show is going to be a little abnormal Normally, it's just predicting a bunch of games, but there's so much happening, especially with Miami and Texas A&M, and you guys have been asking me about that nonstop that I'm not going to wait until Thursday. We're going to talk about that tonight, but we do prioritize game breakdowns on the Tuesday night show, and we got a new JP poll coming in a few minutes, too. Let's start with Ohio State and Penn State. It's the Saturday noon Eastern time kickoff, big noon kickoff over there on Fox. I did not expect to be in the mode breaking this game down that we're going to be in. You know that when we get these big point spreads, a lot of times my approach to breaking down the game is forget about picking the game straight up. It's more along the lines of if the upset were to happen, how would it happen? 
And so we kind of slant it a little bit more towards talking about the underdog only because we're trying to find a path for the underdog. Nobody wants to listen to me explain how a 15 and a half point favorite is the better team and should win. You understand that. You've been around here a long time. 2016 is a big rallying cry around State College PA right now. And it should be. Wasn't that long ago, but perhaps some of you have forgotten. Let me tell you what happened then. That is the last time that we saw the kind of loss that we saw Penn State suffer a couple of weeks ago. So you remember they got blown out by Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people, and I won't mention names because some of them are just one room away, started to sell this team down the river a little bit. Couldn't be me. I still got my white tee on. It's white out every night of the week around here. But some people, understandably so, when they watch their team give up 400-plus yards on the ground, they're a little skeptical that they can win the Big Ten. Well, here's why 2016 is important, okay? James Franklin. In fact, forget James Franklin. This team, Penn State, is 1-19 and against AP Top 5 teams since the year 2000. The exception, that one win, was against Ohio State, and it was in 2016. You know what, it el- you know what else had happened in 2016 right before then? Penn State had lost to Michigan 49 to 10, I think was the final score. So we have seen them get blown out and then pull an upset over a really highly ranked and highly favored Ohio State before. I think that was in, it was in State College, wasn't it, Jesse? So pretty much everything's the same. There you go, rinse, repeat from 2016. Can you make it happen? And if you do make it happen, how would this happen? Well, it's, it's simple and very complex, okay? At the very surface, you just have to do some things and make some things happen that we haven't seen before. You know the old adage, Just because you hadn't seen it happen doesn't mean it can't happen. That's how upsets shock people all the time. The first thing that I think is imperative for Penn State is they got to flip the script in the red zone. The whole something's got to give deal here. Ohio State is scoring touchdowns, not scoring. They're scoring touchdowns on 86% of their trips inside the red zone. Not surprisingly, that is top two in all of FBS. Penn State, conversely, Number 11, when it comes to defensive, red zone scoring percentage allowed. So what could we see? Well, if you were to paint the picture and paint the path to an upset, we would see Penn State, quite frankly, do what they did last year in this game. I think Ohio State had to settle for four field goals. They still won, but it was a 33-24 to game. It was a close game because Penn State forced enough field goals. Now, you're not keeping Ohio State out of the end zone. That's completely unpractical. But what you can do is you're going to force you're going to force a few threes there. And here's the other thing that I want you to keep in mind. Here's where it could get really interesting and there's no way you could ever forecast this. But if the upset happens, if you're watching a field storming at, at Beaver Stadium Saturday night, Jesse, would you guys storm the field if you won this game? Yes or no? Yes, okay, they will. That's 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 confirmed already. Let security know. They will storm the field if they win this game. If that were to happen Saturday, another thing, it's a stat I rarely talk about fourth down. But I think it's relevant here. Ohio State leads the country on fourth down conversion rate. They're perfect. It's nine for nine. I think Georgia is six for six. Those are the only two teams that are 100% in fourth down conversion. Well, here's my thinking. Okay, you get down into the red zone and you get first and 10, second and five, third and two, fourth and one. You get some fourth down opportunities and all of a sudden that red zone scoring percentage could completely flip on its ear. Because instead of settling for the threes, you may look at an Ohio State team who is so perfect on the year in that statistical category, they say, forget it. We're not settling for threes. We're going for it. And if you stop them a couple of times, think about the crowbar you've thrown in the bicycle spokes of what is considered normal 
for this year with these two teams, what is considered normal. So that's the first thing that you could never predict that or forecast that. I'm just saying if it were to happen, that's probably part of it. The other thing is, and this is collectively, the whole crack in the dam metaphor, we use it a lot of times. I am never one to sit here and say Ohio State hasn't played anyone and therefore they shouldn't be power rated high or ranked high. I don't believe in all that. If you're good, you're good. Now, there's another truth that could also parallel that. Ohio State could be really good and it could also be true that they haven't been tested. That's fine. I don't have a problem with someone saying that. Just don't follow it up with, and therefore they shouldn't be in the top 10 until they get tested. Well, they don't control that. And they played Notre Dame in week one. So they scheduled a decent out-of-conference opponent, and they, now they're just playing their conference schedule. It's not their fault. The rest of the Big Ten can't keep up. Actually, it is their fault, but they shouldn't apologize for it. Well, anyway, I'm saying all that to say, yes, it's possible that since they haven't gotten tested, there are some flaws or some cracks on this team that simply haven't shown up. If Penn State were to pull the upset, what probably will have happened is a few of those cracks got exposed and just end up being a little more pronounced than you or I or even Buckeye fans tended to believe they were. You could throw on their corners a little bit better than you expected to. Penn State could run the ball yards per carry a little bit better than they expected to. You could generate, and this is where I think it's going to be a struggle for Penn State, but you could generate maybe a little bit better pass rush than you expect to. Now, that's where I think the game may be lost for them, because I don't know that they can generate enough pass rush here. Think about what you're talking about. And you can draw a parallel to Bama, Tennessee. The reason Tennessee was able to move it up and down the field at will on Bama was matchups, but it was also because they ran the ball well enough to where Bama could not play the way they really wanted to defensively. So they had to account for that passing game. They had to be in nickel all night. They were in dime a lot of the night. They're light in the box, and Tennessee's able to run it on them. Ohio State will probably, probably be able to run the ball enough on Penn State while at the same time taking advantage, even if Jackson Smith and Jigba is not part of the plan here, taking advantage of the skill they have on the perimeter to the point where it's a struggle. It's not impossible, but it's a struggle. Luckily, Penn State does have some guys I think they can afford to trust in man coverage. Anyway, let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number currently is Ohio State minus 15 and a half. It could not be any more in lockstep with the model. Half a point off. The model we have internally has Ohio State winning by 15. As I was trying to decide which way I was going to go on the spread, I'm telling you I'm picking Ohio State to win. But how about this? Penn State 1-7 versus Ohio State under James Franklin, which screams Buckeyes, right? Well, he's 6-2 and two against the spread. So he's made a small career for losing to this team, but getting in there under the number. And I think it's going to happen again. Anything above two touchdowns, I like to happen again. So I will take Ohio State to win the game. I'll take Penn State to cover. So it's not embarrassing. I don't think it's nearly to the degree that the Michigan game was. And yet I think Ohio State leaves with a win, probably their stiffest test until the Michigan game. And the odds to win the Big Ten as we enter this game are as follows. Ohio State overwhelming favorite, minus 500. Michigan is number two at plus 350. It doesn't matter. That game's upcoming, so it'll take care of itself. But Illinois is currently the third odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten at plus 800. And then it's Penn State at plus 2,000. Obviously, that would shift pretty dramatically if Penn State were to win this weekend. I really thought the Every Given Saturday tour was going to be there. I really did. But because I believe that that is about a two-score win for Ohio State, we are going elsewhere. 
Uh, now, you know that I've been wrong on that before. Famously, very famously, I missed A&M over Alabama last year, being there in person, because we thought it was going to be a comfortable win for Bama. So you know what? It's up to Penn State to prove us wrong again. And if they do, this will be the place where we admit it. Academy Sports and Outdoors, I will readily admit to you, is probably the greatest thing that you've ever heard of, at least when it comes to this show. Number one, because they are the reason the show is able to be presented to you. Number two, let me tell you what happened in Nashville today. Within the last few hours, a big cold front moved through, just like a wall of water, just a line of storms moved through. I texted management last night. Scratch that. Management texted me last night asking for a weather report. I said, you got a 100% chance of storms tomorrow. Management foolishly questioned the person they were asking about weather. How could you have a 100% chance? How could you know? Management found out the hard way today how you can have a 100% chance of rain. Pretty much wherever you live, though, it's going to happen eventually. There's a 100% chance of radical weather changes, and I don't want you guys to get caught off guard. Neither do our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors, so they've got your hookup. If you live in a warm weather climate, if you live in a cold weather climate, if you live here where you just get everything per week in the fall and winter, don't dress for one season like me. Dress for all seasons. Be equipped. Be ready. Don't be taken off guard. Don't be standing on the street corner, no umbrella, no rain jacket. Again, that's no way to live life, especially when you have Academy Sports and Outdoors. Of course, they've got your sporting goods hookup. I mean, I'm already past that with you guys. You know that they have the traditional sporting goods gear for you. But they also, they've got every kind of outdoor gear you could ever want. Tents, camping equipment, grilling season is pretty much 365 days a year. They've got your hookup. And academy.com is the place to go if you can't get there in person. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, they're it for us. Look around. What else do you see? You see a mysterious orange liquid in the chalice. And there's a reason it's not branded because they don't, they don't support the show that way. Academy does, though. And that's why that beautiful blue banner floats behind me every show. We appreciate them so much. Let's continue. No one would dare put their sticker on the side of this. It's too controversial a segment. But I think it makes perfect sense. The JP Poll Week 9 edition. I'm, I'm riding around yesterday. I'm listening to the Cover 3 pod. And one Danny Cannell reference. Won't even do it by name. Such a cowardly move. References the JP Poll. And talks about how it drives him insane. And how about, a, how about that feat, by the way? For a guy who has made a career in making other people feel that way. We drove him crazy. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding as to what we're trying to do with this. And I know a lot of you regulars out there get tired of me explaining this. And I'm not going to do it again. I'm just going to explain it a different way. I'm not trying to do anything here other than show you how this model would feel if these teams play tomorrow. It's not merit-based. You're not earning anything by winning on the field. Therefore, if I were running the playoff committee, I would not rank teams like this. It's, it's totally like another world. If you take what we do, pick it up with the grab claw machine, you go, eh, eh, and drop it over here. Over here, that's where our power ratings exist. And then in this other compartment over here, that's where your real-world ranking system exists. Again, the comments will be flooded. Look, you can, you can either be, you know what, I'm not going to say that. We're live. Look at, the, look at the discipline and restraint I had there. Let's take a look at the JP poll. Uh, again, for those of you unfamiliar, it's just our power ratings internally. Who would be favored against two? Well, Florida State is still there. A lot of you were upset by this, but Florida State is still in the top 25. Illinois, welcome to the party, Illinois. They are number 24. Texas Tech also unrated last week. 
Red Raiders are number 23. Wake is number 22. UCLA did not drop all that far. I think we dropped them uh, one and a quarter, maybe one and a half points. Still a good team. They, they just ran up on a really, really good team at home. So we're not going to punish them wholesale, just partially. Just, you know, a little swat. Let's take a look at the top 20, shall we? Mississippi State, you don't plummet when you lose to Bama around here because what happened to Mississippi State is exactly what we expected. And so since we got the result we expected, it's tied to what the model spits out. Therefore, if the model gets what it expected, it's not dropping a team very far. I think Mississippi State actually went unchanged. I think a couple of teams climbed above them and we had to bump them down because of that. Arkansas is 19. Ole Miss dropped a few spots to 18. And it's a really tricky situation here for Ole Miss because of the backloaded nature of their schedule. They play A&M this week, and they're a three or a two and a half point favorite out there, depending on when you looked at that number. Let's just keep an eye on them. Because if they lose a bunch of close games, they're not going to drop a whole lot. The AP would drop them. I wouldn't. Oregon State is still a big riser. The state of Oregon, not so quietly anymore, if you're paying attention, is on fire when it comes to college football right now. Kentucky's got a big one with Tennessee this week. They're at number 16. We break into the top 15 here. And, we, oh, okay. Let me take my first sip of not burnt orange liquid. And that's a bright orange tonight. I, much like your mother and father, do not have to agree with the model all the time. The model and I have differences of opinion, just like mom and dad do, okay? Now, hopefully it doesn't always play out in front of the child, like my disagreement with the model has played out publicly in front of you. But I don't think Texas is the 15th best team in the country. I would not favor Texas over some of the teams that the model has listed behind them. But true to our word, we do not adjust these numbers. I did it in the preseason with Tennessee, and it went back to bite me. So I'm not messing with these numbers. Whatever this model spits out, including Texas at 15, with like nine losses now, I'm going to put them there. So Texas is at 15. I would not choose Texas. Neutral field tomorrow over some of the teams behind them. We move on. Penn State's at 14. They got Ohio State this week. Kansas State, we will see in person this week. They're at 13. LSU is a big riser. LSU is in ascension mode. LSU was not that good to start the year. Some teams improve. That's why we play the sport. That's why you have coaches that show up during the season for practice every day because it is a developmental game, and sometimes teams get better, and sometimes teams get worse. Utah is at 11. We've been very consistent on them. Okay, top 10. Uh, we, we, we've got some movement here. Okay, Oregon, I would also argue, is big time in ascension mode. They're at number 10. Just saw them in person. We will see Oklahoma State Saturday. They're at number 9. Look at the Big 12 flex. TCU's at number 8. Side note, I got a question for you guys. You can drop it in the comments if you want to. You can tell me in the live chat right now. Do you think TCU is the best team in the Big 12? And if you answer no, I'm going to challenge you with the fact that we've already seen them play Kansas State. We've already seen them play Oklahoma State. They beat both of them. They trailed big and came back and beat both of them. So if your answer is no, not TCU, who is it? You think home field is the reason TCU won those games? Like, who is the best team? USC's at seven. Clemson is at six. And for the first time this year, we have an unchanged top five. So from five to one, it's Tennessee, it's Michigan, it's Alabama, it's Georgia, it's Ohio State. Now, what I can tell you is we got a little small smidge of movement when it comes to our margins. Right now, neutral field, the model would favor Ohio State minus one and a half against Georgia. 
minus three against Alabama, minus 10 against Michigan. I think the 10 against Michigan is a little fat. So I think the model is still probably a point or two too low on Michigan. I think they're in the right spot. I just don't think they're power rated quite high enough. So there you go. That's the JP poll right now. I don't think there'll be a lot of controversy one through five. It's just everybody has formed their opinion on this whole Ohio State thing now. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think this weekend will change it. Because a lot of you don't respect Penn State now that you saw them get splattered all over Ann Arbor. And so even if Ohio State goes in there and wins 40 to 20, you'll probably look at that and say, oh, of course, you know, so-and-so would go in there and win too. Okay, so I, I mean, it's a, it's a waste of time to argue this. You either believe in quality of team independent of schedule or you believe in power rating a resume. And if you're power rating resumes, I don't know why you even bother with anything until the end of the year. And that would be my advice. Don't bother watching this segment until the end of the year. I, I conversely believe there are some things that are pretty obvious to the naked eye if you understand or fractionally understand the game where you don't have to wait until 12 games are under your belt to start to figure out how good a team is. I don't think you have to do that. And I would also ask this rhetorically because we got to move on. How, how do odds makers formulate point spreads? If that's, a, if that's a meaningless tactic of power rating teams, week one, week three, week five, before they've played anyone, how do those odds makers formulate lines? Now, you could shoot back at me and prove you don't know a lot about what you're talking about, and you could say, oh, but underdogs win all the time. That they do, friend. Work in a 1,000-game sample size and tell me how flawed Vegas' approach is. Work in a 1,000-game sample size, not a one-game. They score in threes and sevens in this sport. The ball is shaped in an oblonged manner. It bounces in weird ways. Of course, you can cherry pick exceptions to the rule. The rule is you are able to power rate teams. You don't always have to have a lineup of top 10 and top 15 competition they've played before you figure out if someone's good. Now, good teams sometimes lose because their schedule is tougher, but you also take that into account. So, I mean, that's the reason we, we've got... Three lost teams power rated above one loss and undefeated team sometimes because it's relative to who you've played. So I get all that. All right, let's dive back in. And I've also got a lot to talk about with Miami and Texas A&M coming up. I, uh, Colin, confirm for me that we're doing the Every Given Saturday Tour game right now. Yes, we're doing that. Colin, how much caffeine have you had today? Yes, Colin is jacked. He's like a, I think I heard the other day, a chihuahua on pixie stick dust. That's what Colin sounds like in my ear right now. If he's real, of course. Okay. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time kickoff on Fox. This is where we will be. We had Lance in here today. He is a local youth from New Jersey. Uh, He's been out of that area code maybe once or twice in his life. So when he does get out, he just talks about New Jersey all the time. So when I told him I was headed to Manhattan this weekend, he got all excited. And then I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I said, Manhattan, Kansas. And then there was a collective, oh, you know, because people in New Jersey don't even know the state of Kansas exists. Uh, That's the only thing that Kansas is good for is being one of the states that you fly over to get to Los Angeles. That's the way they look at it. Well, not I, not I, man of the people, show of the people. So we're headed to Manhattan, Kansas for Oklahoma State, Kansas State, both teams with one loss in conference play. And each one of them got beaten despite building a big early lead against the TCU Horned Frogs. Frogs up. Sonny Dykes has got a good thing going there in Fort Worth, by the way. And we'll be talking about him a lot more, I think, down the stretch run. Do you have a good feel for this game? Let me start by asking you guys. Do you have a good feel? Because I've gone back and forth, oh, I would say, Jesse, about 19 times today on who I'm going to pick to win this. Now, here's an update, if I can give you one, on the quarterback situation. Adrian Martinez, questionable at best for Kansas State. He's got an undisclosed injury. I think it's kind of known, but I'm not going to say it out loud. It's an undisclosed injury. Don't know if he's going to play. It doesn't sound promising. It doesn't sound like this is one of those trickery, but we'll warm him up and we'll eventually play him. Now, maybe he does start. I think they're genuinely um, sort of up in the air in Manhattan right now as to whether he's going to play. And then on the other side, you got Spencer Sanders, quarterback there at Oklahoma State, who was coming off dealing with a shoulder issue. He's, he's right-handed, so this shoulder. But yet he also had career highs in completions and attempts last week. Now, there were some iffy throws, but I would argue when you throw it over half a hundred times, there will be some iffy throws no matter how good your shoulder feels. So hopefully he's got that iced up. He's good to go this week. If Adrian Martinez's status is in doubt and if he's out, clearly it has to be a, a big career day for Deuce Vaughn at running back for Kansas State. Now, he averages 19 carries per game. That's where he's at this year. I would say even if Martinez starts, but especially if he doesn't, you need to be in the 23 to 26, 27 carry range for Deuce Vaughn. And that would be well above his norm, but this is an extenuating or special circumstance, and I think that's where they need to be. He is second in the Big 12 in almost every major rushing statistical category, right behind Bijan Robinson at Texas. So I think he's capable. Will Howard, who is the backup quarterback at Kansas State, who you may see, you saw him last week, he's good enough to win this game if you get that supporting running game. 
If not, it's a runaway for Oklahoma State. Big picture, though. You know, when I think about Oklahoma State this year, if you just big picture it and you go back to last year, it's not always the way it works, but I think it's starting to unfold this way. They came one yard away from winning the Big 12 championship against Baylor. I think it's been a team on a mission all year. They don't have any room for error because they've already got the loss. So for all we know, if they lose another conference game, maybe they're out. We don't know that. I'm just saying that's the way clearly they have to play. You've got all that going for you. And you've also got quarterback questions on the other side. And let's take a look at what the model thinks versus what Vegas thinks here. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Kansas State is a one and a half point favorite right now, which is mildly surprising to me, given the status or the questionable status of Martinez. Uh, right now, one. Okay, so it's come down to one. That's the line. Kansas State minus one at Caesars. The model likes Kansas State a little bit more. The model likes Kansas State minus two and a half. Oklahoma State is 14 and two against the spread as a dog the last six years. They are three and zero oh in that position this year. And I'm not gonna bet against them again. I'm tired of doing it. And so I can make you a case for Kansas State here, but I'm gonna make a little bit better case for Oklahoma State. I'm not going against Mike Gundy again. I am tired of waking up every Sunday morning. Well, not every Sunday morning. I'm tired of waking up on Sunday mornings occasionally saying, I went against him again. And he made me look like an idiot again. I'm not doing it this time. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State to go on the road. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to win. Certainly I'll take the one and a half or one point if you want to give it to me. The odds to win the Big 12 right now are just fascinating. TCU is out front. But even they are plus money, plus 115. Then it's Texas. And then the pair of one-loss teams, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, they're at plus 300 and plus 800 respectively. So, yes, obviously, this one has big-time conference championship ramifications. Looking forward, very forward. We've got good weather, good weather this weekend, I'm told, in Kansas. So I'm looking forward to getting out there and seeing a lot of folks that we've, we've only spoken to before. We've never been able to see in person. Colin, I think it's a good time, even though I know I didn't put it in the rundown. How about a cough? Yeah, three seconds from now. Three, two. I don't think we need to clip that as an individual segment. We'll just... We'll just roll right along. No thumbnail for the cough, although I'm sure you can make a good one. Mm. Let's, um, let's you and I together here talk about a big, big issue. Or multiple issues, if you want to put it that way. Colin, here's your end point. Times are not good. Times are not good at all in College Station, Texas right now. And there are a lot of bad things happening. If you're a casual fan, you just watch the games on Saturday, you know they're three and four. So certainly at the crux of all of this is they're not winning enough games. But as is usually the case, if you're getting bad fruit, there's a reason. And right now, a, a, it feels like a ton of things are all going wrong simultaneously. Now, before we delve into the negative, I do want to give immense credit to the students at Texas A&M. For those of you who were not locked onto your Doppler radars last night at around 10 or 11 Central Time, there was what is called a quasi-linear convective system, or a QLCS, that came right through Central and Eastern Texas. Flights had to get rerouted in Houston and Dallas, and in the midst of all that is College Station, Texas. And 
even though they're three and four, the students at Texas A&M and the crowd, I mean, the fan base in general, they haven't given up. Like They're still selling that place out. They got a home game for the first time in over a month this weekend. Maybe you heard about that against Ole Miss. So they were camped out to get tickets. And, and then the storm came through. And we're showing you footage right now. If you're listening on podcast, just essentially picture a hurricane, but, but on land, and picture a bunch of tents. Probably, in fact, I would almost assure you those tents came from Academy Sports and Outdoors, given the fact that they withstood 60 or 70 mile an hour winds, sideways rain, you had lightning, which is my biggest fear. But that's Pate State material. Independent of what your team's doing on the field, the fact that you guys support them like that means, number one, uh, you are clearly the caliber of person that we want in our midst. And number two, man, you deserve so much better on Saturdays. I, I know they're a different team at home than they have been on the road, but I want so much better for you guys. Okay, so here's how things stand. And there's a lot that's happened over the past 24 hours that probably a lot of you are unaware of. So this is where it goes downhill pretty quickly. A&M's three and four. Last home game they had was against Miami. That feels like forever ago. Do you remember, what would it have been? Last February, I guess. We did a segment on this show last February after Texas A&M had brought in that top-ranked recruiting class of all time. And I just reminded you, in the midst of all the celebration, there are consequences to success. And in recruiting, there are consequences to recruiting success. You don't just go and bring a bunch of highly rated kids in and then seamlessly plug them into the little compartments on your team, and they go about their business like robots. That's not the way it works. It never has worked that way. And certainly in this day and age, it's not going to work that way. So last night, Billy Lucci over at Texags starts to make official what there had been rumblings about. And that is Jimbo Fisher suspending multiple members of that true freshman team. I don't even think it's important enough to get into names here. You can see them on your screen if you want to. If you're listening on podcasts, just understand a lot of highly rated players, not a lot, some highly rated players from that 2022 signing class got suspended. If you're so interested in why, the rumors are out there. Don't really feel like trafficking in those tonight either. They did things they weren't supposed to. And it's not the first time this year. So you got that going on. You got three of their starting offensive linemen done for the year. You got a couple of big-time defensive starters up front defensively that haven't been playing because of that. Uh, Connor Wegman is the only healthy quarterback they have available right now, or at least that's the way it sounds. So like, like Billy said last night, and like was literally happening outside your window if you live there, when it rains, it pours. That's what it feels like. And that's what's happening around Texas A&M right now. Not good energy. Some toxic energy. Outside the program, and for all we know, maybe inside the program. Now, things sometimes aren't always as they appear. But then again, sometimes things are even worse than they appear. So I don't know exactly what situation we have now. It's not good, though. There is a, and I want to be very clear with what I'm saying here, so I'm not misunderstood. I'll repeat it five times if I need to. If I were running a program, I would want all the elite talent I could get. I am certainly not going to sit here and say, oh, they should have backed off. They should have only taken six five-star players, not nine or ten. No, I want as many of them as I can get. But here's the thing. When you're acquiring talent in college football, your main goal should be acquiring talent that fits what you want to do. 
you don't just go out there like an episode of Supermarket Sweep and run down the aisle and knock as much stuff into your grocery cart, independent of what it is, as you can with the time allotted to you on the clock. Again, that's not the way recruiting should work. It kind of felt to a degree that that's what A&M's class consisted of this past cycle. Whether I'm right on that or not is another matter. But they went out and they literally got everyone they could. Again, I'm not here to hate on that. Uh, that is their approach. There are many different approaches out there to recruiting. Mike Gundy hardly ever finishes inside the top 30. They win 10 games a year. Nick Saban always finishes inside the top three. And they win a lot. They play for championships every other year. Uh, the problem A&M fans have is Jimbo Fisher comfortably fits somewhere in between there, closer to Saban than Gundy in terms of results, but they don't finish anywhere close to either one of them when it comes to the end of the year. So it's like pick a lane, but, but we need the results. Okay, that's really what A&M fans are worried about at the end of the day. But anyway, when I'm talking about acquiring talent and you're talking about all these problems inside the locker room right now, you got guys getting suspended, uh, you got rumors of guys just, just no-show in practice, maybe heading into the transfer portal, which I expect and is not a shock. There is a great catch-22 in the NIL and transfer portal era when it comes to recruiting at the level A&M just recruited at and the way they do recruit now. And that is, for better or for worse, you've got a chunk of kids in any given class who are not coming to your campus for the same reasons that kids did a generation ago. I am not foolish enough to tell you that transactions financially were never a part of this game until recently. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you were to take the Texas A&M roster of 1989, just pull a year out of thin air, there were a lot of East Texas kids on that roster who grew up knowing that granddad and dad and my brothers and my cousins, they all bleed maroon and I'm going there and I would crawl over broken glass for that program. Point blank, that is not the motivation for a lot of these kids coming to your campus anymore. That doesn't mean you can't win with them. It just means that when you open them up and you see how they're wired, it's different. And as long as you're cool with that, go for it. But don't be surprised if you get some of those kids on campus and they don't immediately get what they wanted out of this transaction when you have some issues behind the scenes. That's inevitable. So that's just it. That's the new world you live in. Now you can either choose to traffic in it heavily, you can choose to lightly traffic in it, or you can choose to watch some other folks dive headlong into the NIL game and you just kind of exist on the periphery. And I know that you guys think that every major program out there is doing this. They're not. And this is not an A&M statement at the moment. I'm going to get back to A&M in a second. But people are learning on the fly. And that does include Jimbo Fisher. A lot of folks are learning on the fly how to build a roster and manage a roster in the NIL era. Do I just treat it like supermarket sweep? Do I get my collective on board? And do I just go knock as many products into my grocery cart as I can? Do I circle four or five names per cycle and say, those are the ones, those are the ones that we got to NIL as hard as we can for? Or do I say, nope, we're going to do it the way we always have. We'll let those other programs do that and we'll let them deal with the fallout and the ramifications that come with that. People are still working their way through that ideologically themselves. And Texas a and no different. But what happens and what will continue to happen is you're going to have some kids on campuses that they otherwise would not have been interested in because NIL drew them there. That's the new world we live in. Now, 
whether you agree with what I'm about to say or not, whether you're happy with what I'm about to say or not is irrelevant because I'm not happy with what I'm about to say. But if you don't play them immediately, they will get pissed off. They don't love where they are. They're not emotionally attached to where they are in some cases. And they just assume hit the exit door if they're not immediately getting what they want. You're going to have that mixed in. If you traffic in this stuff heavily, it's inevitable. You're gonna have that mixed into your signing classes. And when I talk to major programs, I think a lot of folks are looking at College Station right now and maybe altering their approach because of it. Now, I cannot prove to you that every bit of drama they have out there is NIL related. I know that's the assumption, but there's always more than meets the eye to a lot of this stuff. So if we were to really dive in, we could probably write a short novel on the inner workings of the A&M program this year. I think it would be foolish to say this has nothing to do with it, though. So that's where I am. And I can tell you confidently from speaking to some people in some other major programs, there are some big-time programs that recruit at a high level that in some cases have just decided to pass on guys that are, you know, sort of out there for the highest bidder, NIL-related. I'm talking about legal stuff. I, I, what used to be illegal, but I'm talking about legal legal recruiting approaches now, but they're starting to understand, man, if we do acquire that kid via those means, what are we dealing with? You know, what, what do we have to fulfill on our end? Can we really look at that kid and say, hey, you're going to have to come here and earn it just like everyone else? Should be able to. Can you though? I don't know that you can. And for all the talk about Jimbo Fisher and whether, you know, he's going to bite the bullet and hire an offensive coordinator this, this Winter, there's another question. I, I think they're having to answer it internally right now. Do they continue headlong using the same recruiting approach that they did this last cycle? Or is he looking around at the results of this last cycle and saying, this isn't for me? Or does he feel like they're not connected? I don't know, because we don't have Jimbo Fisher on the record talking about that right now. But I'll, I'll tell you what I won't keep doing. Man, I got a post-it stuck here. They are three and four right now. They've got a bunch of tough games left. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to look at a glass of spoiled milk, taste it, and realize it's spoiled, but then keep sipping it again every week. Like That's what a lot of people do when things have gone off the rails for a team. Things are off the rails for A&M right now. That's the end of the story as it relates to the 2022 season for me. They're off the rails. That's it. I know it right now before Halloween. I'm not going to, if they lose three more games, keep reassessing where things are and incrementally upping my disdain for Jimbo Fisher or, or my unhappiness with how the program's running. No, it just, this is it. I know what I need to know about this season and then we'll rack them and try it again next year. In the meantime, obviously there are a lot of things that have to happen, uh, but that's pointless to me. Like, there'll be a lot of people who are only like 60% not sold on Jimbo who will be 90% not sold on him if he loses two more games. And my question is, if it's off the rails, it's off the rails. Have you ever seen a derailment? It doesn't hop back up on the tracks again. It just sits over there on the side of the road until someone cleans it up. And you don't clean these derailments up mid-season, especially when your roster's beat to death. And half, your, well, not half, a lot of your team is going one way while another half's going another way. I will tell you this, though, and this, this part I do feel a little more confident speaking on. You may have some problem guys in that locker room at A&M, but I can promise you, you got some guys there for the right reasons the reasons that you grew up believing in, for example, who were very, very proud to put on that jersey and put on that helmet. 
this Saturday is kind of about them because you got a game that you could win. You got a game against Ole Miss. They're coming in there. It's their second straight road game. You finally get to play at home. And while you may think it's a detracting factor that guys are being suspended, what you may not be taking into account is there could be some stalwarts on that team that despised what those guys stood for and maybe a little bit motivated by the fact that the head coach dropped the hammer. And you may see it play out on the field Saturday. And you may see an inspired performance because while talk radio and message boards may be a little more toxic, who knows? Maybe the locker room galvanizes a little bit. I actually think that's going to happen. I tend to believe Texas a and is going to win outright Saturday. Now, I could be fantastically wrong about that, but I do happen to agree with that. But even if they don't win, it doesn't negate what I just said uh, the other seven minutes or eight minutes of this segment. Okay, let's, let's dive back into one. I got one more game prediction, and then we're not done yet. I've got to talk about another very, very untenable situation, shall we say, down in South Florida. Kentucky, Tennessee. Colin is antsy for this one because he knows he's got Georgia 13 days away. I have not done the math on that. That's not close. He's got him two weeks away. This is the 118th meeting all time between these two. Tennessee with the decisive edge. This is a 7 Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. This game was 45 to 42 last year. Do you realize that? Now some things have changed. Kentucky is minus one very, very big playmaker that they had last year. But Will Levis in this game last year was 31 of 49. Yes, that Will Levis. 31 of 49, 372 yards. Chris Rodriguez on this team that hadn't been able to run the ball this year, although they have been getting better. 22 carries for 109 yards. So, hey, if you were to give me those numbers Saturday night, we would start mentioning the U word, upset. This line's only 12 and a half. It's not three or four touchdowns, and it's in Neyland. So why isn't this line higher? It's what I've been asked a lot this week. Why, why is Tennessee, quote unquote, only favored by 12 and a half? Well, number one, that's a high number, first off, uh, because the other team's coming off a bye, by the way. And secondly, they do have a trip to Georgia coming up next week. That's a factor. This is a good old-fashioned look-ahead game. Uh, they wouldn't admit that, but I will for them. This is a look-ahead spot. So you, you cannot afford to take these spots lightly. Which style? takes over the game early. Anytime you have contrasting styles, you always about midway or the latter portion of the first quarter start to realize one side is having their way when it comes to the overall flow of the game. And these are going to be stark, starkly contrasting styles. Tennessee runs the fifth most plays per minute in college football. Kentucky runs the fewest per minute in all of FBS. So what do we see? Do we see a pinball game breakout late first quarter? In that case, you can go ahead and start writing the obituary for Kentucky. But we could see the alternative play out, in which case it's just a, a slugfest, and Tennessee kind of gets drawn into playing a game they're not really interested in playing. I keep coming back to Hendon Hooker at quarterback, as do many people who have watched him this year, because even, even if my mind starts to go down the road of thinking about the Kentucky upset, I just go back to the fact that you got to beat that guy. I know you got Will Levis over there, but you got to beat Hendon Hooker. And see, the problem is they're not one-dimensional. A lot of these programs with a quarterback that puts up video game numbers, they're one-dimensional, and that's not Tennessee. Tennessee is averaging 4.6 yards per carry this year. Now, that may not be a mind-blowing statistic, but it is when you can throw the ball like they are. Because that's all you need. You don't need to be top five rushing 
In fact, you probably couldn't be. But if you're top 25 or top 30, and you can pair it with the passing game they have, that's plenty good enough. They are the only team. Tennessee Volunteers, only team in America, averaging at least 320 through the air and 200 on the ground per game. If you didn't run the numbers there, I ran them for you. They're averaging over 500 yards per game. And that is a really, really good number to be averaging. By the way, somehow they're averaging a higher yards per carry number in SEC play than they are in overall play. I mentioned Kentucky's off a bye here. Why does that matter? Well, obviously it matters because they're rested. Uh, but also, theoretically, you get a team's fastball coming out of the bye week. And I think that if they can have their best rushing performance this year, and it may not be that statistically it's the best, because Tennessee has a pretty good rushing defense, if they can do enough to make Tennessee respect it, just respect my ability to run the ball, Will Levis could have himself an okay afternoon. But I keep coming back to what it takes to beat Tennessee, not just cover. What does it take to beat them? And I don't think Kentucky has that. Like, I don't think they have the firepower. Because let's be real now. Let's say it's 28 to 28 going into the fourth quarter. Let's say it's 31 all midway through the, first, or thir- through the fourth quarter. Does anyone really think that Hennon Hooker and that offense will not get the job done in crunch time? Knowing what's at stake, knowing the conversations they're in now, I just don't. I don't believe that. And so let's take a look at what the model thought. Kentucky at Tennessee, Tennessee favored by 12 and a half right now. We've only got Tennessee minus 10 and a half in the model. And so I'm going to do something here that's the least risky thing one could do. I actually think Kentucky may be the one who dictates that rhythm a little bit early on. I think they're going to hang around. I think they will have taken advantage of that bye week. I think you'll get their best performance of the year. I don't think it'll be enough to beat Tennessee. But I actually do think they may sneak around and cover here. And sneak is the key word. Because it could be, it could be using vulture mode. They could be down 17 the majority of the fourth quarter and just sneak in that back door. But I'm going to take Tennessee to win. I'm going to take Kentucky to cover. Right now, Tennessee is still a plus 500 to win the SEC. That's the third best odds behind Bama and Georgia, respectively. And that, of course, will shift one way or another the following week, unless an upset happens a week prior to Tennessee at Georgia, and that would be this Saturday. So we will take Tennessee to win. We're going to take Kentucky to cover, and I think I'll have some heavy disagreement in the comment section. By the way, if you're watching, I need you to do me a quick favor. It'll take like five seconds. Just click the thumbs up. That's it. It would take like two seconds, really. Click the thumbs up because we are at uh, 647 likes right now, and we've got way more than 647 people watching this show. And uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. They're watching us in Highmore, South Dakota. They're watching us in Scranton, PA. Some good paper made in Scranton. And they're watching us in Virginia Beach, Virginia, wherever you're watching. Wherever, however, and whenever, really. Thank you so much. There are more problems, not just College Station. So uh, I'm going to take a sip here. So I really need to get geared up for this one. Jake in Miami. And Jake, mind you, has a Miami Hurricane logo as his profile picture on Twitter, okay? So if you're listening on podcast, theater of the mind, I want you to picture what what I thought I was going to get from Jake, and I'm going to read you what I actually got. Okay, Colin, here's your end point. A tweet from Jake from Miami. 
He said, what do you make of Cristobal blaming the media for Miami's struggles? Can you believe that? Mario Cristobal, how dare he blame the media? Uh, Jake was not the first person to ask me about this. When I was at the gym yesterday, I started to see the eye Josh blow up. And that either means I'm being evicted or it means someone said something in the world of college football. Fortunately, it was the latter. Although rent is going up next year. And so a lot of people were saying, can you believe what Mario Cristobal said? Can you believe he's blaming the media? I mean, some people I respect were even asking me this. I have learned a lesson, and I learned it a while back. When people are asking you what you think about what someone said, go find what the person said and judge for yourself, which we're about to do right now. Roll it, Colin. I think you guys try to affect it more than anything. You know, I mean, we have from day one made it very, very clear what we're here to do and what we're here to build. And our history has shown that. You know, we don't sell a dream. We don't sell any false hope. We sell the reality of a track record and what we've done and where we've been and how we've done it. And I think that both parents and players appreciate honesty and truth and good people. And they see a path for a great future for their sons as well. So uh, again, the truth is always gonna win out in the end. Being real is always gonna win out in the end. And when you are at a program, whether you just got there, been there, whatever, there's always a starting point. We're at our starting point. And we're going with what we started with and making it the very best that we can. It's a different starting point than other places that we've been at. And that's fine too. There is no flinch, there is no hesitation. It's just time to go to work. I'm gonna be real, I listened to that. I did not find an ounce of controversy in it. But here's what can happen sometimes. And, and I knew what to do. When people asked me yesterday, what did you think about Mario criticizing the media and blaming the South Florida media on Miami struggles? I knew the first thing I needed to do before I said a word was go find the soundbite and listen to the full soundbite. We just played you the full soundbite. There was nothing controversial about that, nothing whatsoever. What he was asked about was, do you think that this is gonna impact recruiting? You know, people building things up and falling short of expectation. And what he said real quick was accurate. He said, well, I think you guys build it up a lot. It's not that they don't have expectations internally, but you know, there's this, I'll, I'll delve into this a little bit. There's this element that exists in South Florida. I've noticed it for a long time, but over on insidetheu.com, over on the board there, those guys do a great job covering the program. I saw a Miami fan point this out and I haven't seen fans point it out, but since they did, I'll kind of reiterate it, paraphrasing. They said, I'm a Miami fan, I live elsewhere. And it, it wasn't until I got out of South Florida, this is the fan talking. He said, it wasn't until I got out of South Florida that I realized people, the media, some of the sports media in South Florida, they don't protect Miami. They don't look out for the best interest of Miami like some other folks in other college towns do. Now that is not the job of a journalist and I am not suggesting it is, but it is a fact that in a lot of other major college markets, while the local media does not actively wake up every morning looking to protect the program, there are just certain roads down which they will not go because they know it is in mutually best interest of theirs and also the program. There are some folks in South Florida that don't really care about the program. And I think Mario Cristobal knows that. He's been down there long enough. Those fans know it. I don't need to really mention names. You guys know them better than I do, but there are some folks who kind of sort of take delight in the program struggles and showcasing those struggles to the rest of the country and 
showcasing a quarter full stadium to the rest of the country. I'm not making excuses for them. I think it sucks when they can't get more people to show up. I think their play on the field has been abysmal this year. But what I am saying is I don't have a problem with what Cristobal said yesterday. I, I just asked this. I got a lot of folks right now asking what I think now that the rebuild has failed at Miami. How do you know the rebuild's failed? How do you even know what phase of the rebuild they're in? Now, it's true, because I got a lot of you on record telling me that most Miami fans agreed the program needs to be rebuilt before they brought him in. Then they bring Mario Cristobal in. Well, sort of the collateral damage sometimes of a rebuild is you get really bad results. Now, I'm telling you, and I'm not saying anything he wouldn't agree with if Mario was sitting right here, these results haven't been anywhere near good enough. They've been embarrassing. It's been terrible. Some of the worst football I've ever seen Miami play has been this year. But here's the thing he just said. If you listen to that soundbite, and I'm not going to play it again, but I will reiterate. He said, you start a rebuild. They don't all start at the same juncture. If you walk up to a house, sometimes you just may need to redo some sheetrock and maybe re-shingle the roof and it's good to go. Well, that was a quick rebuild, wasn't it? If I walk up and I know that, oh boy, we got termite damage, we got water damage, but we don't need to flatten it down to the slab and start from scratch, it can still be worked with. But if you walk up to one like Jenny does to her old house in Forrest Gump and all it takes is a few stone throws to knock the thing down, well, 15 minutes later, the rebuild's gonna look worse than even what you walked up on because you gotta tear that thing down before you start building it again. Sometimes, I guess I just aren't enough rocks. And sometimes you don't have enough football games in a season to get it done in year one. Now, it could be that what they've put together down there is just not good enough. Sure, that's always in the cards, sure. I don't think that's the case. Okay, I don't think Mario Cristobal is incapable of building a program. I don't think he forgot how to win. What I do think is there will be a healthy amount of shuffling come season's end on his roster, maybe on his coaching staff. He'll get it right. I don't doubt he'll get it right. I don't doubt that we'll be sitting here this time next year and they will look night and day different for the better and they'll be playing some true freshmen in the process. I don't doubt all that. I, I just, I know it's terrible to watch. I talked about it Sunday night. I get that. I understand some rebuilds are unpleasant and that no, they shouldn't be as bad as they are this year. There is no amount of rebuilding Miami that should involve you turning the ball over eight times. There is no amount of rebuilding at Miami in which Middle Tennessee should come in and run all over you. No, no, it's not good enough. He wouldn't suggest otherwise. But as much as I'll say that, I also think on the other side of the coin, while it's fair to criticize, and I've done a healthy amount of criticism, they've criticized themselves internally, I can guarantee you. On the other side of that coin, there are some folks out there who really take delight in others' failures. And some of them exist in sports media, some of them exist in a fan base. Rival fans don't count. Florida State fans should love what's happening there right now. Florida fans should love what's happening there right now. But there are some agnostic fans out there who really have no tie one way or the other to Miami that just, they just love to see someone struggle. They, they love to see a car wreck. And that's kind of where a lot of this energy comes from right now. It's really weird. I watch it, I don't traffic in it. And you would think I would be the one to do it because that would be what generates the most clicks, right? Not necessarily. And even if it did, that's not the way we're going to run this show. So where I stand on Miami and Mario Cristobal is, I think this year has been terrible. I think this team is terrible. I think the team is a lost cause. I don't think the program is a lost cause at all. 
In fact, I think that they will rebound quite nicely. And I think that in year three, four, you'll look back on this year one, I think you'll look back on it and laugh to keep yourself from crying. But I also think you'll say, maybe, just maybe, some of that paid dividends down the road. Now, I know it's really hard to understand how getting trucked by Duke and Middle Tennessee State could ever pay a dividend. It can. I'm not going to do the tired, lazy, La Monroe versus Alabama 2007 reference. I'm not doing that. Uh, Quite frankly, that's been beat to death and it gets used a little bit too much. I think they'll be okay. But in the meantime, I would just encourage you guys amongst yourselves, take a look at who seems to be delighting in this. Because there are some folks in South Florida that seem to be delighting a little bit in the struggle of Miami football. That's okay. That's their prerogative. There will come a day when things improve. You hear that knock on the door. I'd put my earplugs in and keep right on about my business. That's how I'd handle it. That's how I'd handle myself. All right, Ramen Noodle Express time. Let's take a look at, what, one, two, three more added best bets. We put A&M plus three. Yes, after everything I just said about Texas A&M, we were betting money on them this week. Apparently, some other people are too because the line dropped. Texas A&M plus three, they're at home against Ole Miss. UAB is being added to the Ramen Noodle Express. UAB minus five. We are adding Iowa State, yes I am, plus one to the Ramen Noodle Express. They're at home versus Oklahoma, a rested Oklahoma. Model still loves Iowa State. Cal plus 17 and a half. It pains me. It, I, I think Oregon's going to win the game. But man, Oregon is flying really high right now. They, they are so due to play an ugly road game. Quite frankly, it would probably be good for them and pull them back down to earth a little bit. So I think that they are going to beat Cal Saturday, but the model has them winning by like 13 and a half, which is impossible as we all know, but you get how math works. I hope you do, because I don't don't really get it. Cal plus 17 and a half though. So Cal plus 17 and a half, Iowa State plus one, UAB minus five, Texas A&M minus three. We got over 1,000 likes during the live show. And I'm just going to tell you guys, because he won't. Jesse doubted you. He didn't think you could get us there. And I did. So hats off to you and I. And Jesse, you, you go another week without people seeing your face. I appreciate you guys so much. We're going to have a really fun show Thursday, too. Because for all of your cries about where the Late Kick Extra podcast has gone, we're kind of going to do it Thursday. Huge mailbag. I'll put the tweet out probably tomorrow or at the latest Thursday. And you will drive the show Thursday, and it will be really fun. I can't wait to see where you take us. Because you're in control, not me. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.